What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, seems like we got a good slate of games on Sunday and some interesting NBA topics to talk about today. So what is good, bro? Bro, chilling out here. It's about to be the weekend. About to be working. But I'm going to be ready for these, these Sunday games that we got for the NFL. And you already know we got a lot to talk about in the NBA, too. So you ready to go? Hell yeah. Let's get it popping. All right. So like we said at the top, we're going to go over some of the standout games from the Sunday slate for week 14. Um, we're not going to focus on the Rams and Arizona Cardinal game, even though that game is in week 14. That'll be on the Monday night slate. So, but we'll talk about that on the next episode. But that's probably the game of the week for week 14. But the first game that we'll go over will be a pretty solid matchup. It is going to be the Buffalo Bills going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, both teams doing relatively well this year. Buffalo came off of a tough loss to, to New England last week, but the Bucks had a pretty solid win over the Atlanta Falcons last week, so that'll be a good game to go over. After that, we'll transition into an AFC West showdown that is going to feature the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City's really been on the roll the last couple of weeks, really probably the last month and a half or so. They've been winning consistently. And the Raiders have been up and down to say, really just for a lack of a better term at this point, just inconsistencies. But they have won a couple of games here and there. But we'll kind of see what happens with the Raiders when we talk about them in that second game. After that, we're going to talk about a pretty solid AFC North battle that's going to take place between the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. Those AFC North battles are always tight. They're always competitive. So that'll definitely be a good game to go over. And then the last game that we'll focus on the Sunday slate is going to be the Dallas Cowboys going up against the surging Washington football team. Washington's won the last four games in the last month. And the Cowboys, they've been up and down maybe the last like two or three weeks, but they're still respectively one of the top teams in the NFC, despite the the bumps along the road that they've hit the last two to three weeks. And then after that, we will transition into some NBA discussions. Uh, we're first going to talk about Damian Lillard and the ongoing trade speculation that seems to surround him about him possibly leaving Portland. Now he's come out and said publicly that he's not going anywhere, despite all the rumors that are circulating around him possibly leaving. So I imagine Kevin and I will dive into that one pretty extensively. And then we're going to finish off the episode with Zion Williamson. Now, there's been some photos that have circulated on social media the last couple of weeks or so that have really kind of put into question his playing shape as far as what he's going to be able to do once he gets back onto the court. There have been photos where he looks extremely overweight. And then there are some photos that have surfaced recently where he does look, I guess you would say slimmer than some of the photos that we've seen him when he's been at some of these Pelican games in just regular street clothes. So Kevin, and I will kind of talk about that one a little bit to wrap up the episode. And if there's really anything else that we could come up with, like off the fly, uh, Kevin and I definitely have the, we definitely have the skills to go off on a little bit of a tangent whenever they pop up. So that's the slate that we have for today's episode. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this first game, which is going to be the Buffalo Bills going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So 
the Bills are currently sitting at a 7-5 and record going into this game. And then to kick it over to Tampa, Tampa is currently at 9-3. and Buffalo came off of a tough loss last week to the New England Patriots at home. And then Tampa had a pretty solid road win against the Atlanta Falcons last week. Both teams are still playoff caliber teams. Buffalo second place in the AFC East. And Tampa still remains the number one team in the NFC South. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, this is probably one of the more competitive matchups that we're going to have with the Bills going up against the Buccaneers. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So let's not get this twisted. I got Tampa winning this, like, without a doubt. Now it's just a matter of how it's going to happen. So obviously Buffalo's defense is completely livid after being embarrassed on Monday night against the Patriots. And I know that that broke Kyle's heart that they were just so distraught in the post-game press conference that, you know, Kyle was just so broken about how they handled that question that the media had answered. And, you know, he felt bad that the Patriots embarrassed them by running the ball 50 times. Um, Kyle, I know I'm speaking for you, but I I just know it in your heart that you felt bad for that team. Uh, So I don't know if Buffalo's (laughs) – I know that – Buffalo's going to come back, and they're going to try to be a lot more aggressive on the defensive end. They're going to try to rush the passer. They know that Tom Brady is the lifeline of this football team, and I feel like they are going to come prepared to at least be a little bit more competitive than they were on Monday night. However, um, I do think that the advantage goes to Tampa solely because, one, they're the number one team in the league at stopping the run. Two, Buffalo does not run the ball. So when even when they do, they probably don't even have to stack the box, and by they, I mean Tampa. So Tampa is going to be solely focused on just passing coverage. Now that is also an issue because that is Buffalo's weakest attribute. Excuse me. That is Tampa's weakest attribute is covering the pass. So I'm looking at this game and I'm saying, are you going to get Josh Allen that was MVP uh, at playing at an MVP caliber last season? Or are we going to get the inconsistent, indecisive, kind of hesitant Josh Allen? Because this Kyle and I have said this on multiple occasions, on multiple uh, episodes. Josh doesn't look the same. Uh, I don't, we, we, we have made the speculation of play calling, um, maybe kind of like a third-year slump, a junior-year slump, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he doesn't look like the Josh Allen of old. The offense looks out of works, uh, out of sorts, excuse me. And we all know that it, it sure as shit isn't because of their lack of running the football because they didn't run the ball last year and they were 12-4. and four. So whatever's going on in Buffalo needs to be sorted out, especially right now because they are playing against the defending champs. Um, as you already know, the champs went into Indianapolis and they wound up coming back from a 10 point deficit. It's not something that I like to talk about, but they played a very good football team and they were able to come out on top with five turnovers. Now, Buffalo is going to turn the ball over like they have been lately. And if Buffalo is not able to keep Josh Allen from getting sacked or from, you know, from getting hit, we all know at this point that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are capable of not only a comeback, but a dominant performance. So I got Tampa right now by 7 to 10 points just because I feel like Buffalo is not going to be prepared enough for Tom and Leonard Fournette, who was on a tear lately, and because I just don't think, nor do I have enough confidence in the offense of the Bills to get through that stout Buffalo front front, front six. Front seven, sorry. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game simply just because I don't know really which Buffalo team's going to show up. Is it going to be the one that got to the AFC Championship game last year, or is it going to be the one where they struggled to even get any sort of offense against the Patriots last week? So diving into this game, 
I have to favor Tampa just on paper because, well, they've been the more consistent team throughout the entirety of the year. And it seems to me that even though the Buccaneers are sitting at nine and three, I'm still of the mindset that this team has another gear that they haven't hit yet. Because last year they had kind of a bumpy start and then really towards like the last third of the season, they really kind of got it going. And I think that Tampa is definitely capable of that like last third of a season stretch where they really turn it on and they really kind of round into playoff form going into the playoffs. And I think this is one of those games where you could definitely see that just because I don't think that Buffalo is the same team defensively. I still think that Buffalo is solid, even though they had that close loss to the Patriots last week, it wasn't because their defense wasn't playing well. They held the Patriots to 14 points, even despite the fact that they got absolutely destroyed on the run game by giving up 225 yards on the ground to Damian Harris and Ramadre Stevenson. The offense is the main part of this team that has really struggled with Buffalo. And it's been kind of perplexing because Kevin, it's like you said, this team went to the AFC championship game last year, and they were one of the most high powered offenses that any team could show for in the NFL. And this year it's a combination of factors that have led to Buffalo having an inconsistent offense this year. They're not protecting Josh Allen as much as they did last year. He has definitely taken more hits in that regard. I think I just don't think that the receivers are able to get the separation from their defenders like they were able to last year. And Kevin, it's like you said, they are just an inept team at running the football. And I think if they gave their running backs just more opportunities to run the ball, that they would be at least a more formidable offense. But with their inconsistencies in the run game, they're putting a lot of pressure and they're putting the majority of a lot of they're putting the majority of the team's offensive side of the ball on Josh Allen. When that side of the ball is not moving because Josh Allen's not getting the job done, it's going to lead to a sputtering offense. And that was, that's what we've seen from Buffalo so far. Now, this is a game where I do think that Buffalo could put up some points because Tampa's secondary is a little bit weaker, but I don't think it's going to be enough to overcome Tampa. I just think that Tampa is still too high power of an offense for Buffalo's defense to contend with. I don't think that this is going to be, I don't want to say this is going to be like a really high scoring game, like where both teams are like in the high thirties. I think this is going to be a game where I think the bucks do crack 30, maybe 30, 31. And I think Buffalo gets to 23, 24 points. So I'm going to say the Buccaneers win this one by let's say seven or eight points. Just because I just think that they're a more formidable team across the board. I think Tom Brady's going to have a good day. I think the run game with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones is going to be solid as well. And we've even seen Gronkowski really kind of look like the old Gronkowski of when he was playing back with the Patriots just a couple years ago. You combine those factors together, and if Tampa's defense is able to get some turnovers against Josh Allen and that Buffalo offense, I think it bodes well for Tampa in this game, and I think they end up winning this one, like I said, seven to eight points. It's going to be a one-possession game, but I think Tampa wins this one when it's all said and done. It's it's weird because we've said this about so many teams this year, and I don't know if it's kind of like a thing in the NFL where quarterbacks are just having random off-seasons. Like Pat Mahomes started off rough, and and now he's surging again. And obviously at this point you have a, a multitude of quarterbacks like uh, Joe Burrow kind of in a slump. 
uh, minus his little bit of an injury. Um, you have Josh Allen in the slump. You know, big names that have Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford. You just—it's weird. They—they they started up and now they're like literally like in a downward spiral to the point where you're just looking at it like, what the hell is happening around the mm-hmm. league to the to the major quarterbacks in the NFL? And you're just—you don't know what to say. You don't know what's going on. We don't know if it's a mental thing. So um, definitely not a shock necessarily when you see Josh Allen kind of having a uh, a bad season, or should I say, kind of like a bad second half. But definitely more of a question mark. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, the one thing that kind of stood out to me about the Buffalo game when they played against New England. I mean, honestly, I can't really take that much away from the game itself just because the weather was by by far and away the most pivotal factor because both offenses couldn't get anything with really the wind blowing at like 30, 35 miles an hour throughout the entirety of the game. I think the part that shocked me the most about that game was what was said after the game. Sean McDermott and just some of the players, I know Jordan Poyer and, and Micah Hyde got a lot of um, got a lot of attention for their words after what a reporter asked him or asked them about getting embarrassed by the Patriots run game. And I'm not going to go too much into what Micah Hyde and and Jordan Poyer said. I'm mostly going to focus on Sean McDermott in this one because it seemed like to me that it was the bitterness that Sean McDermott had in his post-game press conference is what stood out to me. And it just, it seemed like he was really criticizing a lot of other portions of the team instead of his overall game plan going into that game against New England. And Kevin, I know we talked about this before we started recording. I, I'm just kind of surprised that Buffalo, you know, Buffalo is is a pretty, you know, rough and tough town. And it's kind of odd that the Buffalo Bills aren't really a team that resembles that city. Just because I mean, I, I understand that they're fully reliant on Josh Allen to kind of carry them. But the fact that they have, an incons- I shouldn't even say inconsistent, it's a non-existent run game. There's no other way for me to say it other than that. It doesn't fit the mold for that area. I mean, the Patriots did punish them on the ground and their home stadium. I, I mean, I think, that, I think New England was the first team since like the freaking 70s to have under five pass attempts and still win that game. I mean, it literally felt like a high school football game where we're just going to run the ball pretty much 95% of the time. And despite the fact that Buffalo stacked the box with 9-10 deep, that they couldn't hold the Patriots to under 200 yards rushing. It, it was just shocking to me. But it's it kind of goes to this point of, I just don't know if the Bills are built to what they what they should be in like as far as like what the town it resembles with it feels like this team it, they're a good team there's no doubt about that I just don't think that they showed that grit that toughness that is really resembled in that part of the state of New York I know that's kind of like me taking my tangent part into account for this but that's kind of how I see it with Buffalo well you're not saying anything that isn't true the concern of a team that's you know bills mafia you know the the, the up north cold consistent snow you you think of weather inclement uh, inclement weather 
You think a dominant run football team. You think of a very physically dominant, run it through your face, you know what I'm saying? Get down the field, drain the clock, and just be a power football team. When in reality, that's just not the case. This isn't the Buffalo Bills of old when they had the Marshawn Lynch, when they had the Willis McGahee. This is just a what it is. When they used to have O.J. Simpson back in the day. Yeah, I was just thinking a little bit more recently, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Okay. Like just to kind of keep keep you. people within a certain time frame. Yeah. But Buffalo has always been known to be a tough, gritty football team. And for the sheer fact that they have just kind of shifted along with the rest of the league, because we can't just say that it's only them. Kansas City does it too. And a lot of other football teams have just kind of relied solely upon the pass. Uh, so it's not a shock, but I agree with you completely. It kind of like does not reflect their area. It doesn't reflect um, what you would expect from a very up north, northeast team. And um, it, it really does show teams have just dropped, what, seven, eight back into coverage, rush three. Josh Allen's got to force the ball down the field. And what happens? It's a turnover or it's an incomplete pass or, or, or God forbid, Josh Allen's got to take off and risk getting injured. So um, it definitely is odd considering everybody's scheming for Josh to throw you would assume they would want to run more because they're planning to stop Josh. But yeah. it's almost like a chess, a chess match. He's like, you know what, Mc, uh, McDermott's like, I can outcoach you. And it's something similar to what Frank Reich does in a lot of my Colt games because it's just like, you see that Jonathan's eating, feed him the ball. You see that defensers are scheming to stop Josh. You need to give Devin and Zach the ball. And it's the complete opposite. Yeah. It's just, I think it really kind of goes to this point is are just teams by and large across the league too pass happy where, where it, it just seems like I think a lot of teams are, are relying on their passing game to kind of carry them to the promised land instead of the run game. But when you look at a lot of the teams lately that have been very successful, I mean, just in this year alone, I mean, the Patriots are the number one seed and they have a pretty good balance of, of a, the passing game with Mac Jones, but they also have a solid running backfield with Ramadre Stevenson and Damian Harris. You could even look, you could point to the Colts, even though that they're not in the playoff picture right now, they're on the outside looking in. When you have that big of a dominant factor, like Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, you can't deny that. I mean, even though that Derrick Henry's hurt with the Titans, I mean, he was arguably at the top of the MVP discussion before he got hurt. And I'm still of the mindset that, you know, if you have a good run game that you could rely on, it's going to bode a lot better moving forward just because you at least present the defense as you're go- going up against a different look. That's why I think that Tampa was so successful last year towards the second half of the season because Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones started to become a pivotal, they became pivotal roles towards the end of the season, and they came up huge in some of those playoff games, especially in the Super Bowl. I thought Leonard Fournette had a huge game in that Super Bowl against the Chiefs when Tampa dominated them in that game. So I just I, I would like to see just the run game get a little bit more... What's the word I'm looking for? Just become a... Aggressive? More, assertive? No, just become a more focal part of teams' offensive playmaking decisions. Because I think a lot of teams, they would rather throw the ball 40 times if they need to than compared to running the ball 25, 30 times. I just don't see the consistency in the run game that teams, I think, should be doing a lot more often. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, the Patriots ran the ball 45 times last week. 
you know, granted that was due into part just the weather conditions in that game. But I mean, there's some teams that can run the football 25 to 30 times. It's just that sometimes they just don't do it. And I and I feel like they should. If the if the settings for the games are right for that type of play style, then go for it. But teams just rely on the pass. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can get some huge chunk plays off of throwing the ball, but when you're effectively running the ball against a defense, it is mentally draining because you're just getting dominated and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why freaking Marshawn Lynch with the Seahawks, he got better as the game went on because just his bruising style of running the football just wore down defenders because they knew he was just dominating. The offensive line was dominating and there was really nothing they could do to slow him down in the fourth quarter. And that's where, you know, he took control, especially with Seattle towards the end of his career. Yeah, no, it's the, the league has evolved. It's no longer ground and pound. Very few teams like, like a Tennessee um, do what they do. And there's a reason. And I think that that's because coaches nowadays have egos. Um, like you've made the comment and the, the observation of Frank seems to try to always outcoach and outsmart opposing defenses as opposed to reading what's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. If it's working, why not continue? Why mm-hmm. try to go about saying, you know, I'm going to beat you this way or I'm going to outcoach you in this, this situation or play style. Do what you need to do that's successful. Play the game effectively and take, take advantage of matchups. If they're stacking the box, take advantage of man coverage if your quarterback is capable enough, which every NFL quarterback at this point should be able to attack man coverage if their receivers create separation. And then on the opposite side, if they're playing soft and there's only eight, seven in the box, run the football at a tight end or an extra lineman and ground and pound. It's, it's, to me, it's not difficult to dissect what's in front here, but NFL coaches to me overcomplicate things and they try to just go about this whole ego bullshit like McDermott did against uh, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick ain't changing shit. But for what? He he's got six Super Bowl rings. Who the fuck he need to impress? He's eight. He does. Two as a defensive coordinator. Oh, that's right. Uh, who did he coach as a defensive coordinator? Uh, Giants. Ah, that's right. He was with Parcells. Mm-hmm. But no, as a head coach, yeah, he still got sex. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's yeah. players like that that are from a certain pedigree, like the older coaches that say, well, fuck it. I don't need to do anything. It's the younger coaches. It, it just, yeah. it really shows. I'm going to finish it off with this, though. I mean, like, you know, because we still have a lot of games to get to. It's just, you know, and, and granted, you know, I, I know I'm a Patriot fan, and, and I think everybody knows that at this point. I mean, the shirt. I hope so. I mean, are, are the Patriots doing anything really complex with Mac Jones leading the way at the quarterback spot? Are they doing anything that crazy? No. To me, from what I've seen, no. Everything's pretty simple, right? Five, mm-hmm. 10, 15 yard routes. Sometimes they hit the deep ball every now and then just to kind of test it, but it's working. And some, but sometimes I don't think teams settle. I, I don't think teams want to do that. They don't want to settle for easy or basic because I think that I think ego kind of plays a, a factor, like you mentioned, where it's just too simple to to do something like you know like these like small little routes. But sometimes those five ten yard routes do they get yards? Sometimes you don't need a big-ass chunk play for 30, 40 yards to really get you down the field. Sometimes if you can get string along three or four plays that get six yards here, eight yards there, 
seven yards there. I mean, those dry, those plays are effective, but sometimes teams just don't settle for that offensively. Kevin, what's going on? Your eyes got big. The Steelers are doing it again in the fourth. It's 20 to 29. Yeah, I, I just saw that. I saw it was 14. They, they scored another touchdown. Yo, the Steelers are like the fourth quarter team of the year. I don't want to hear it. Bro, they do this every week now, it, it seems like, where they just come back from an, an unprying deficit. Bro, they were losing 23 to nothing. Nothing. Was, 29 nothing. You're right. Even yeah, worse. It, was, it, was tw- it was 29 nothing. It was bad, bro. Dude, they're an extra point away from scoring. They're, they're going for two so that their next possession, if they go down and score. And there's still 12 could, minutes. There's still 12 minutes left in the game. Bro, they're they're cooking, bro. Their pass rush is getting to Kirk and everything. Where was this in the first half? Where I couldn't this? tell you. I couldn't tell you. This is going to be a good game the way that it finishes. I'm not going to watch it. You can kind of provide the updates, but still. like, Yeah, they went for two. They didn't get it. They went for a bubble screen with a man in motion uh, with Deontay Johnson, but they ended up losing five yards. Why would you go for two? That seems like a stupid decision. What are you going to do? Because you get the, the touchdown. You, you, you score the touchdown, you get the field goal, you get the extra point. It's still a one-possession game. Mike probably wanted to get it out of the way now as opposed to kind of, you know, all the eggs in one basket. But I, I agree. I see I see what you're saying now. Right? Oh, now, God. Now, now you need two positions. Oh, shit. We play you next Saturday. Yeah, we do. We do. Why? What's wrong? I have plans that weekend. So? I can't say them on the thing because it's a surprise for my brother's birthday, but I got plans that weekend and I will not be available. Don't worry. I'm still be, I'll still be texting you. You're still going to get updates from me. And you know what? You're probably going to turn the game off like in the third quarter anyway, just because you're going to be sick and tired of Frank's All bullshit. Right. Next segment. We spent like 20 minutes you, on you, this. You know that's true though, right? I'm not denying it at all. Yeah. Frank's going to be on his BS. That game is going to try to outsmart Bill. Nobody outsmarts Bill. It's a a difficult task, my guy. It's not easy. You have successfully tried. But, yeah, like Kevin said, let's let's dive into this next game that is going to feature the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. So to give you guys an update on the Raiders and the Chiefs going into this game, the Raiders are currently sitting at a 6-6 record. They had a pretty abysmal performance against the Washington Football last the Washington Football team last week, losing by the score of seventeen to fifteen. And then KC, even though the KC's sitting at eight and four, the inconsistency that we've seen on this offense continues to be a pressing matter for the Chiefs as a whole. Granted, they did beat the Broncos last week, but they only scored twenty two points at home against Denver on... That was a sudden at matchup, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Okay. But still, the Chiefs are sitting at the top of the AFC West, and currently, you know, they're one of the top seeds in the AFC at this current moment in time. So, Kevin, to, to kick this one to you, with the Raiders going up against the Chiefs this weekend, just how big of a game is this for the Raiders to keep their playoff hopes alive? This is probably the most important game of the year. It's a divisional game, and it's also the end of the season, you know, coming up towards the, the, the end to where they cannot afford to lose another game because there's just so much competition within the AFC wildcard and so many teams that are legitimately either the same record or within a game of each other. So the Raiders are in control of their own destiny, but 
sadly enough, I'm going with the Chiefs all day, every day. Um, they have completely turned around their season. Their defense has stepped it up. I believe since the start of this win streak, they are top three in almost every single defensive category, including rushing of the passer, which is incredible. Um, not to mention, we're also trying to include here, and let's remember that Vegas is down two or three running backs to play this game. So they have signed Peyton Barber uh, a few weeks back, and he is now second behind Josh Jacobs, who has been banged up all season. Jalen Richard is on COVID reserve, and then they lost Kenyon Drake for the foreseeable future, if not for the rest of the season with a broken ankle. So you really have to look at this and say they're limited in running the football. Derek Carr has had up and down moments in the season. And they're solely relying upon Darren Waller. The man will get 15 to what seems to be 30 targets. Obviously, I'm being completely dramatic. But I'm saying in general, they live and die by the success of Darren Waller. And most teams are now putting a corner or they're double teaming him up the seam. And it just looks like the inability of Derek to get the ball to really anybody outside of uh, Hunter Renfro just seems to be kind of hindering this offense. And with their inability to run the ball consistently, it really kind of makes them a one-trick pony also. So... I would probably lean towards Kansas City's dominance on both sides of the football. Uh, I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way to turn this season around or, you know, turn the rest of the season, you know, around and continue it in the, uh, the successful manner that they've been going for the remainder of the year. But the only reason I'm saying that this isn't going to be a big blow is because it is a divisional game. I tried to lean towards um, them being close just because they know each other very well and both teams have had pretty good battles over the last couple of seasons, even with Pat Mahomes' dominance of the NFL. So I'll say that this is going to be another 7-10 to 10 point game, really dependent on how this really goes for the, oh my God, Minnesota just scored a 80-yard touchdown. Wow, that was crazy. Woo. Derek, wow. Damn, 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 damn. Kirk Cousins just let one rip and it was in double coverage and the receiver just blew away. Holy shit, 35-20. to 20. Anyway, as I was saying... Uh, I got Kansas City winning by 7 to 10 points, all dependent upon, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the offense's uh, offensive out, uh, output and performance. And then it depends on the um, inconsistencies of the Raiders' offense, realistically. Yeah, when I look at this game on paper, you have to favor the Chiefs in this one. Just because, Kevin, I mean, these two teams played against each other about a month ago. And the Chiefs looked like the Chiefs of old in that game dropping a 40-point piece against the Raiders. Patrick Mahomes threw for five touchdowns in that game. I believe he had over 400 yards passing in that game as well. And it looked like the Chiefs hadn't missed a beat in that game against the Raiders. Now, I do think that the Raiders, they're going to look at that film against the Chiefs from just a month ago, and they're going to give the Chiefs a much more difficult challenge in this matchup. They are not going to be embarrassed like they were. I believe that was a Sunday night game just a few weeks back. So I do believe that the Raiders are going to present a more competitive show of force against the Chiefs in this one, but I just don't think it's enough in this one. And it's really for all the reasons that you mentioned. I Just that offense, they're so reliant on Derek Carr to get the ball to Darren Waller to kind of get the offense going. And when you combine the fact that their run game hasn't been consistent this year just because of the amount of injuries that have been sustained, Josh Jacobs and the other running backs in the backfield have all kind of had their own separate injury issues throughout the year. I just don't believe that the Raiders offense is going to be able to generate enough points against KC's defense. And KC's defense has been absolutely phenomenal the last month and a half or so. I mean, they're right alongside 
the New England Patriots in their respective winning streaks as far as points given up per game. And I think if I remember the stat correctly, I think the Chiefs are averaging defensively only like 12 to 13 points a game, which is absolutely phenomenal when it, when you compare it to what they had the first half of the season where they were damn giving up 30 points a game in the first four or five weeks of the year. This team has really kind of made a full this team defensively has really kind of gone full circle. And this team defensively is not to be trifled with in any way, shape, or form. It's just the thing with KC in this game is which offense is going to show up. Is it going to be the one that showed up against the Raiders just a couple weeks ago? Or is it going to be the one that showed up against the Broncos and the Cowboys the last couple of weeks where they really couldn't get anything going with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield in a consistent manner? I think the Chiefs are going to be able to do enough in this game. I don't think they're going to have the 40-point performance they had against the Raiders a couple weeks ago. But I do see the Chiefs cracking at least 24, 27 points in this game. And I do think the Raiders are going to be able to keep this one closer. I still believe the Chiefs are going to win this one by a one-possession game. So I'm going to throw a score out there. I'm going to say the Chiefs win this one by the score of, let's say, 27-20. to Just because... I don't know what offense is going to show up for KC. And even despite all the issues that the Raiders have dealt with on the offensive side of the ball, I still believe that they could get some points against this team, but it's just not going to be enough. So, you know, KC continues their hot stretch of late. And, I mean, looking at the Raiders, I mean, if the Raiders lose this one, man, their road to get into the playoff, their road to get into the playoffs really gets tricky from here on out. And, it's like you said, this is kind of a do-or-die game for the Raiders in this one. And I, unfortunately for them, I don't see it going in their favor. And you could pretty much say with a pretty straight face at this point that you could say the Raiders' playoff chances are pretty much done if they lose this game. Yeah, I agree. And to kind of back up what Kyle said, in doing the math, the Chiefs are allowing 11.2 points per game in their five-game win streak which is just astronomical. And like yeah. Kyle said, also, it is very similar to what New England is doing on their respective win streak also. So both teams dominating the AFC. I, I agree completely with Kyle. I just don't see that, you know, uh, Vegas's offense is going to be able to overcome the, the power of Kansas City's defense as of late. And uh, yeah, it's just, it just does not bode well. It's kind of funny because like Casey's, like the way that Casey's defense has been playing, They've been playing so stellar, you'd think it would be the opposite. Meaning the offense would be stellar, but the defense would be shaky. And that was kind of the case earlier on in the season. But it really just surprises me like how inept that this Chiefs offense can be at times. I'm not saying overall that they're inept. It's just in some of these games, points are just tough to come by. That Dallas game was a good example of that. Hell, I mean, it gets the Denver Broncos last week points were not easy to come by there's been several games where that chief's offense has looked bad and it's just it still surprises me to this day that this team offensively just hasn't been able to get it consistently going really since probably the earlier stretches of maybe october so i i still believe it's going to be enough to get by i was gonna say oakland I was, it's gonna be enough to get by vegas but at some point, this Chiefs offense is going to have to show me something. You know, they're winning games, which is which is fine. You know, getting a dub, in, in, you know, in the win call is pretty much all you hope for. 
But I just don't know if this is going to be a winning formula for them to get to another Super Bowl and possibly win another one. I just don't know. I just need to see a little bit more consistency out of the offense because I'm getting it from the defense. You combine that with the offense getting it together, yeah, this team could definitely go back to the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it in my mind. But until then, they're going to be kind of a team that I don't really know what to make of them. And I could say, you know, I could rely on history. They've been a team that's been either on the cusp of making a Super Bowl or they've won a Super Bowl. But this year, it's going to come in a different way. And, you know, for someone like me that's been just astonished by what the Chiefs have done offensively the last couple of years, it is kind of shocking. It's kind of striking that this team offensively just cannot get it together on a consistent basis. It's like we talked about in the last segment. Um, you know what I mean? It kind of comes down to there's just been something in the water, something in the wind where offenses just are struggling. Uh, quarterbacks are struggling. So what, what, what are you going to do? Also, update here on the game. Uh, Pittsburgh got the ball right back, obviously, after the touchdown. They ended up punting uh, because yeah, they ended up getting a delay of game. They, they got a delay of game on fourth down, and it, you know, it, it yeah, like Kyle said, it's pretty much over. And Dalvin Cook is one yard away from 200 yards on the ground. Oh, he's, he'll get it. He'll definitely get oh, it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. I'm playing against him in fantasy. Trust me. When who I need the, something to not happen. Who got the 80 yard touchdown that you said just a couple It wasn't 80. I think it was like 65. I was being dramatic. It was uh, 17. Was it KJ Osborne? Yes. He's low key kind of been nice in that third spot. I know that Adam oh, yeah. Thielen's been, been out of this game. I think he had a high ankle sprain last high week. Ankle, yeah. But he, he was the one, I think, that got that uh, the game-winning touchdown against Carolina. I want to say maybe like a As month, time month expired, and a half right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, bro, as a third wideout for them, He do not sleep on that guy. That guy is pretty solid. Not so, at all. And I think TJ Watt left this game with an injury. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in plain clothes, so I think he didn't come out suited up for halftime. Yeah. Uh, well, Hate to I, see it. I mean, I guess we'll find out what the extent of the injury is um, going into Friday Tomorrow morning. into this weekend. Yeah. yeah, so, but we'll see. So, with that said, we are going to transition into a pretty solid AFC North battle that's going to take place between the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. So, to give you guys an update for this game, Baltimore is currently sitting at an 8-4 and four record. They're coming off of a pretty gut-wrenching loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers last week where they were one two-point conversion away from potentially beating the Steelers on the road. So this is you know a bounce-back game for Baltimore in this one. And then to kick it to the Browns, the Browns' last game was actually against Baltimore back in the last week of November. They had their bye week last week. And they are looking to bounce back after taking that pretty tough loss to Baltimore in the last week of November. They only lost that game by six points. So this could definitely be a pretty solid defensive match in this game. It's going to feature the Ravens and the Browns. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, with the Ravens headed to Cleveland in this AFC North showdown, uh, who do you have coming out on top and why? So... I want to say Cleveland. I really do because I have not seen enough from Baltimore the last two weeks to really say that they are a definitive continuous favorite in the AFC. Uh, Lamar has struggled with his turnovers. Um, They have failed to execute. The defense just continues to be riddled with injuries. They just lost Marlon Humphrey for the year with a a partially torn pec. 
So you, you, you look at a team and you just, oh my God, Kirk Cousins just threw a pick six. Yikes. Oh, I Yikes. thought he was going to go all the way. I just, I thought he was going to go. He stopped. He got, got caught at the 20. Oh. Wow. I, I, he had room to go and he slowed down for some weird ass reason. That made no sense. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think the combination of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt being back is going to be a, a phenomenal, absolute one-two gut-wrenching punch for this Baltimore weak defense. You know, Calais Campbell, uh, Patrick Queen, and the rest of those boys are gutting it out and fighting it with all the injuries and the depleted secondary, but I don't necessarily know if that's going to be enough to overcome the powerful running offense that is the Cleveland Browns. They haven't had both backs healthy in about a, maybe two months, uh, obviously, Nick had COVID. Nick had an injury. Kareem's been out for a while. So the both of them actually haven't taken a snap together in a while. So um, I'm looking for this game to be uh, interesting. I think it's going to be a very gut-wrenching, divisional, tough, gritty matchup just because that's, you know, both teams' MO. I think that Lamar is going to try to bounce back into multiple facets, like maybe running the ball to try to keep the clock away or to keep the ball away from Cleveland. But I also think that John Harbaugh is going to try to dial up some good and easy passes to get him in a rhythm to get uh, Bateman and, you know, obviously Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins, and then Mark Andrews involved as they always do. But I'm just really looking at this and I'm saying this is going to be a tough one. And I think that this is going to be a really close game down to the wire. I think it might even go down to a game-winning field goal. And for Cleveland's sake, it better not be on the on the shoulders of Justin Tucker because we do know that aside from Adam Vinatieri being the greatest kicker of all time, Justin Tucker's greatest kicker of this to, of, of today's generation. Um, the man can hit all field goals from all sides of the field. Pittsburgh actually just scored within 30 seconds. So it is now 26-36. Um, I think that this is going to be a three-point game, period. Maybe, maybe a seven-point game, depending on how Lamar plays, if Lamar wins. I'm going to give the edge strictly to Cleveland because I think Nick Chubb is going to run the ball down their throats. Like, I really do not see... Kevin Stefanski dropping Baker back with all the injuries that he himself has had and taking the ball out of Nick Chubb's hand. Nick is healthy. Kareem's healthy. Run the damn football and keep the ball away from Lamar. This is a tough one for me just because the first matchup between these two teams was relatively close. It was only a six-point difference, and both teams offensively couldn't really get anything going. So when it comes to my pick for this game, I'm going to go with the Ravens in this one, and, and here's why. The Ravens are one of these teams that I don't know how they do it, but they find ways to just either win these games in like the last couple seconds of the game or like the last position of the game, or they're at least in position to win them. You know, last week against the Steelers, it didn't work out. They didn't get the two-point conversion that would have given them the game over Pittsburgh. But to me, I think with Baltimore in this one, I just think that Lamar Jackson is going to have a solid day. I think he's going to have a bounce back game because he did not relatively have his best game against Pittsburgh last week. And I think that they're going to be able to get back in this game against Cleveland because, Kevin, if I remember correctly, wasn't it that Lamar Jackson had one of his worst performances in his NFL career against the Browns just a couple of weeks ago? We had like yeah, I think, I think three or four interceptions. Like three or four interceptions. Yeah. So I imagine that Lamar Jackson remembers that game quite vividly. And I do believe that he is going to make a good point of that by just absolutely dominating this Cleveland defense. And Cleveland's defense is solid. I, I'm not going to disregard that. But I just think that 
Lamar Jackson is going to have a stellar performance just based off of that terrible performance that he had against the Browns a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not saying that that you know the Ravens are just going to run over Cleveland in this game. I still believe it's going to be a relatively close game, but I just think that Lamar Jackson is going to have a better performance than he did against Cleveland last time, and they were able to still get that six-point victory. I mean, if Lamar Jackson has a better game in this one or has anything close, I mean, to be quite honest with you, if he has half the interceptions that he has in this game compared to the last time they played the Browns, the Ravens could win this one by 10, 14 points. But it really kind of depends on what Lamar Jackson shows up with against the Browns in this one. I think he's going to have a relatively good day. I think Cleveland is going to be a lot more of a competitive force in this game. I do believe that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to be huge focal points in this game for Cleveland just because I think they want to take some pressure off of Baker just because he has not had his best year this year. Granted, he's dealing with his own injuries, but he hasn't been playing consistent football the entire year. So I do think it is going to be a relatively close game, though, like you mentioned. I'm going to go with, I think the Baltimore Ravens win this one by seven points just because I think Lamar Jackson is going to be in a much better position to succeed than he was the last time that they played the Browns. So if I had to put a score on this one, I think the Ravens win this one by the score of, I'm going to say 27 to 20. I think it's going to be one of those games where Lamar makes a plays at the end of the game. And I think it's going to be enough to get them by. And I think the defense is also going to be able to get some crucial stops at the end of the fourth quarter as well against Cleveland. So that's where I have this one going. Baltimore let one slip last week against Pittsburgh, and I believe they just kind of get back on track this week against Cleveland. It's going to be a good game regardless. Yeah. I mean, most AFC North battles are good ones, um, and I think that obviously Cleveland fighting for their playoff hopes and then Baltimore fighting to stay pretty much relevant to try to get back up to the top of the AFC is going to make this a really, really gut-wrenching game for both. Um, a lot on the line for both, and I do think that, like you said, based off of Lamar's terrible play the last game, and then Cleveland needing to get on a fast, hot start, it's going to be a very, very, very aggressive and physical gritting game, and I look forward to it. Yeah, you know, these AFC North battles are always fun, especially towards the end of the year. We still have some pretty big playoff implications at this current moment in time for both teams. Cleveland's kind of looking on the outside in right now, but... Baltimore is really trying to get back to the top of the AFC seeding overall. And, I mean, had they beat the Steelers last week, they'd still be at the top of the AFC, but they let it slip, and now the Patriots own that top spot in the AFC. So, you know, Baltimore is definitely going to have to get back on track if they, they want to try to reclaim that number one spot in the AFC. And I'm just of the mindset that they'll be able to get the, the victory over Cleveland in this one. It was not going to come easy. It's going to be a very gutty performance from the Ravens in this one, but I think it's going to be enough to get by. And I, I just don't see if, if Cleveland loses this game. I mean, they may have an outside shot to get into the playoffs, but it's going to get a lot. It's a wrap. Trickier. It'll be a wrap. It's a lot trickier, but they're running out of time. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a wrap. A Baltimore definitely, uh, not Baltimore sit. Cleveland definitely needs this game. Oh my God. I can't even name the freaking cities. Right. Um, Cleveland definitely needs this game. There's no doubt about it. But I just don't see it happening. I think Baltimore is just too good of a team. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll see what happens. Like we both said, it's always a tough matchup this time of the year and in this division. So just looking forward to the tough grit matchup that's coming. 
yeah and you know same here the feeling is mutual on that one so with that said we're going to transition into our last featured game for the sunday slate for week 14 and that is going to be the, the dallas cowboys going up against the washington football team so to give you guys an update on both the teams dallas is currently sitting at an eight and four record they're the best team in the nfc east at this current moment in time they had a pretty solid win against the new orleans saints last week and then to kick it over to the washington football team Washington has been on quite a surge lately. They've won their last four games. They had a relatively low scoring output against the Vegas Raiders last week, but it was enough to get them the win by the score of 17 to 15. Currently, Washington is sitting at a six and six record. And they do kind of find themselves on the outside looking in to try to get into the playoffs. But with this push that they've been on the last month or so, they have definitely raised some eyebrows across the NFC just based on their winning ways of late. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how pivotal of a game is this for Washington to keep their playoff hopes alive? This is absolutely detrimental. And I feel like I've, I've said something similar for almost every single segment we've had today because we're getting to that point in the season where these games all are playoff-implicated games. Dallas leads the division. Washington is on a, a four-game win streak. And this is a divisional battle. So, I believe Dallas is, what, eight and four, right? Yep. So, Dallas loses. Washington wins. They go to seven and six. Dallas falls to within a game of losing first place to the Washington football team. And the remaining schedule of all NFC East opponents is within themselves. So legitimately, every single game matters for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys because Dallas can lose this division lead and potentially fall out of a playoff spot if they lose the remainder of the games this year. And then on Washington side, if they win out, potentially, they not only win the division, they could potentially get a, a decent seed in the, uh, in the postseason. So I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, oh, my God, there's so much riding on this game. I think last week's game was skewed because they played Taysom Hill. To me, and I, again, Kyle and I have talked about this on and off air. We do not believe Taysom Hill is that guy. We don't believe Taysom Hill is a true quarterback. So a lot of those throws were errant throws, um, kind of like terrible decisions at the end of the day. And he did throw four of them. So Dallas's defense did make it their presence known early on in order to stop the run as well with Mark Ingram. Um, and obviously Alvin Kamara didn't play. So I'm not going to take into account and disrespect Dallas's defense and say that they're not ready for the hot surging team that is Washington. Um, now, Washington hasn't gone out there and scored a lot of points. Their last two games, they've only scored a, t a combined total of 34 points. And the weird part is, which is what we talked about on Sunday, was the last two games also ended 17-15 exactly. So it's not like Washington's doing anything exponential to win games, but their defense is what's really standing out to me. And they are making their presence known by not only getting to the quarterback, but forcing turnovers and just forcing three and outs as well. So Dallas having one of the more upbeat and powerful offenses in the NFL, I know for a sheer fact that they're not going to go to sleep or they're not going to go away easy. So Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, Amari Cooper, that entire offense is going to have to make a statement quick and fast so that they can let Washington know, hey, we're here to play and we're not going to be some of these scrubs that you've played against recently. So I can't really give a prediction because I feel like this game can go both ways. We have seen Dallas have absolute embarrassing moments multiple times this year um, where they completely forget how to play football for what it seems like a good portion of the game. Obviously, the Denver game where they lost by uh, double-digit points. They lost to the Raiders on Thanksgiving. So you really look at it like, well, 
can Dallas do this? Can Dallas really shake off what the stereotype is of it? Like Stephen A said, they're bound to lose anyway. Dallas is going to choke because it's what they do. Can they get that stereotype off their shoulders? I don't know. NFC East games normally are really boring because they just suck. But these are the two best teams in the division. And as of late, they have both been playing relatively okay. I want to give the edge to Dallas, excuse me, to Washington because I believe that they can beat them. And because I do believe to a certain extent that Dallas unfortunately does have that stereotype and they can't seem to shake it, that they just find ways to choke games out in the later half of the year. And I just don't necessarily have faith that uh, Dak is going to be able to really carry the, the load on his shoulders. So I'm going to go with Dallas in this one. I don't have a lot of faith in this one because it is like you mentioned. This is one of those games where Dallas needs to show that they are a team to be reckoned with in the NFC and the NFC East. And in recent history, they've always kind of fallen short when these big games come up. Now, granted, this is an NFC East divisional matchup. This is not like the Cowboys are going up against the Chiefs, the Patriots, or some top-tier team. But this is a team that they should be fairly convincingly because despite the fact that Washington has won their last four games, offensively, Washington has not really presented that big of a challenge to any of the teams that they've gone up against. It's like you said, they've only scored 34 points in their last two games, 17 in each one. And the only way that Washington's going to be able to win this game is if they're able to force turnovers defensively against Dallas. Now, Washington defense has played pretty stellar, but this is probably the best team that they've gone up against since the Buccaneers when they started that winning streak. So this is definitely a big test for Washington, but I just don't think it's going to be enough uh, to get by Dallas at this point. I just think that Dallas is too, they're just too powerful offensively. And I think they'll be able to overcome that Washington defense. I think Dak is going to have a relatively good game. I do want to see Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard really have a solid game from both of them in their own respective uh, games. Just because when those two guys really get it going, they are just a nightmare to deal with. And then when you got Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb to deal with, that's a tough matchup for that Washington defense. And then we've even seen some of these other guys step up for Dallas of late. I know Michael Gallup. He had a relatively decent game against New Orleans last week. Granted, it's New Orleans. They're not the best team uh, to go up against. But still, I thought Michael Gallup definitely played some serviceable time against New Orleans in that game last week. And he could definitely have an impact in this game as well. And with Dallas defensively, I think they're going to have a relatively easy time dealing with Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke is not somebody that really scares you. Granted, he could still play, and he's been able to make some pretty solid plays throughout this four-game winning streak, but I just don't see it here. I think even though that I see Dallas winning this game, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout, but I do think that Dallas wins this one. It's going to be a one-possession game. I do think that Dallas wins this one by eight points. I think Dallas gets somewhere around... 28 to 31 points. And I do think that Washington, despite the inconsistency that they've had on the offensive side of the ball the last two weeks, I do believe they will crack the low 20s. But I just see Dallas winning this one. I'm going to say Dallas wins this one by the score of like, let's say 28 to 20. This is going to be one of those games where 
I think Dallas, they get off to a decent start. Washington will come back a little bit in the middle of the game, but I think Dallas will make some good second-half adjustments, and I think that'll be enough to get by Washington in this one. Dallas would bump up to 9-4 and four in the season, and then Washington's four-game winning streak would come to an end. But definitely a good matchup between both teams. There's no doubt about it the way that I see it. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm, I'm always hoping for good games. Nobody wants to see a boring football game, at least this late in the year or any week, mm-hmm. should I say. But I don't know, man. Obviously, with Philly being my second team because of Isabel and her family, I, I'm just, you know, I'm rooting against Dallas because it's just I don't want them to win. But I also have some faith in Taylor Heineke, man. I don't know what it is. It's something about the kid. You kind of want to cheer for him. You want to rally behind him. It's kind of a random story. Old Dominion came coming into a playoff game last year and really playing very well against Tom Brady, of all people. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I really got faith in this team to make some noise and, and, and give Dallas a run for their money. Yeah, it's just, Washington, it's like I said last week. Washington is one of those teams that's just painfully middle road. And to me, I think that's what's going to happen in this game. Now, if Washington ends up winning this game, then I might change my stance on that a little bit, but I just don't see I don't see a lot of reasons to be like super excited about Washington. Granted they are winning these games in this four-game winning streak that they've had, but they haven't really done it in a convincing fashion. Granted they're getting wins, but it's just, it's just like, ugh. like I can't invest a lot of excitement into this Washington football team. Now, if they were, you know, winning by two, three touchdowns, the defense was bringing an hellacious pass rush where they were not only getting sacks, they were turning the ball over three, four times, then that would be something different. But really the best thing that's been going with Washington so far this, um, not this year, but in this four game winning streak is that. The offense isn't really turning the ball over, and despite the fact that the defense is not committing, is not a lot, not getting turnovers, they are getting the opposing offenses off the field and forcing them to punt. That's really the best thing that they've been able to do in this four-game win streak. So if they're able to continue that, good on them. It's just that going up against Dallas, this is probably the best team that they've played in a month. I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it, despite the fact that this is one of those games where Traditionally speaking, Dallas will choke this one. <laughs> I would find it absolutely hysterical. Even though that I picked Dallas to win this game, I'd find it absolutely hysterical if Dallas choked this one. I would just be chuckling about this one when we talk about it on Monday. I mean, you and I are both going to be laughing at it if that's what happens I, because the, the, the stereotype just can't be shook, man. It's like they do it to themselves every year. It's yeah. where you really look at it like, dude, they're going to do it this year. This is the year that they're poised to actually make a run. This is the year that they look efficient. This is the year that Dak's doing this or Ezekiel Elliott is performing in this magnitude. And it's like, bro, I don't know what it is about late November, early December, or just, you know, the winter time in the NFL because Dallas just can't get their shit together. No. But it's just crazy. I think in this game, I think they'll do enough to get by. But hope not. You know. We'll see what happens. Dallas is known to screw around and screw things up. So never say never. But this week, week, man, I just don't see Washington do it. But if they did, holy shit, that'd be a game changer. What's this this update, my guy? I'm kind of interested in what we got here. Two seconds left 
first and 10 within the 10 yard line. Eight point game. Well, we got to see how this one goes because this is about to get crazy. Dude, Deontay Johnson breaks a tackle that was going to end the game to get tackled inside, and he breaks away to run out with three seconds left. Excuse me, they just adjusted the clock. And they're at the 12-yard line. Again, correction. Do you you know who's the leading receiver for the Steelers in this game? Your boy? It's Deontay Johnson now with that catch. That's not what I have. Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh! tight end had it in his hands and he got hit and he dropped it it was a beautiful ball by ben he threw it in between three defenders and he dropped it like what was the what was the throw like was it high was it, it was low? right it was right up the seat bro it's in his hands bro like legit threw it right over the linebacker in between the two corners and he had it right here and the hit jarred it out oh oh, oh we got hit oh he got hit but it wasn't hit hard. He had it here. I guess he wasn't expecting the hit to come from the top. Dude, it was a perfect route, man. He literally just ran the seam. Like, legit. And he was wide open. Kevin, we got, we, we, got some, we got some breaking news. Oh, what's the news? Apparently, Demarius Thomas has passed away. No way. Look on Twitter. Uh, well, I, look on Twitter. What? Yeah. Demarius Thomas has passed away. What? To, to why? Oh, holy shit, bro. Yeah, and, oh. and it's it's confirmed. Yeah. Dude, he's gone. Dude, I can't believe it. He's gone. Holy shit. Yo, like this is... Bro, he was like... 33 years old. He, he's not even that old. It wasn't even that old. What the? F- Marius Thomas. Guys at 33. Holy shit. Guys, I know we're recording right now, but I, I wasn't expecting this. What is? Now I'm trying to figure out what happened. I mean, it's it's kind of breaking on Twitter. It's trending right now, but Kevin, this is one of those ones where we've never had something like this actually happen while we were recording. Dude, I'm I'm at a loss for words. I, the I mean, cause of death has not been yet to be determined. Oh my god, dude, he was literally about to turn. Like thirty five or thirty four. Yeah, he's all, dude thirty three. Dude, I thought Vincent Jackson's death caught me off guard. Holy, sh- this dude is legit. Like just a few years older than us. I know we're twenty six. Well, you're twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seven. Still, like, oh my god. Yo, rest in peace, R- rest in Thomas, yeah, bro. Jesus, bro. Yes, rest it in is, peace. Oh my God! It's bro. It's what we say, man. Everybody says it. Life's too short. You don't know when your time is gonna. You know your time is up, bro. Multi-million dollar Super Bowl champion, wide receiver, all the accolades, all the athleticism, rich. It, it make no difference, man. When it's your time, it's your time. 
That's crazy. It, it, it wasn't supposed to go like this. Oh, I mean, 33, bro. Man, you just, you got to feel the tremendous sorrow, not only, you know, for his family, but his former teammates. I mean, hell, there's, there's teammates of his that are still in the NFL. I, I, I can't believe it. I, I'm just absolutely shocked that it's just, it just, yeah, this, bro, this one hits home. Oh, yeah. I'm just, dude, I can't believe it. I have no idea what the hell happened. Obviously, no one does. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess we'll find out more as, as uh, more details come out in you know, the next couple days or so, but Jesus Christ. Oh, my. Just, just tragic. This is tragic. Yeah, this, this, guys, again, this definitely was not something we, dude, this fucked me up. I, I, wow. I'm stuck. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't even a part of our original agenda going into this episode. Obviously, if it's breaking yeah, news. Yeah, I mean, I, most of these tweets that I'm looking at right here, this is only from like 30 minutes ago. So, I mean, we started recording at what? 10.30? Yeah, like 10.35. And these are just popping up around like 11, 11.15. Dude was a stud. I don't even think he officially retired yet. I could have swore I saw something about him retiring, but... I, I I don't know if he officially retired. I know he was kind of bouncing around at the league at the end, but... I mean, the guy was a stud in Denver. Was the premier wideout for that team when they won the Super Bowl in the early uh, 2010s or the the mid 2010s? Excuse me. You know, on Peyton's last you know last stretch, but you just you just feel awful. You just feel awful for his family and just his former teammates. Like you just, yeah, this is a tough one. It's a tough one because the dude was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. So, yeah, he wasn't the same after he tore his Achilles, which is when he left to to New York. But man, when he was on one, man, he was. I'll just I'll always remember that that play with Tebow, that overtime. Oh, it was it was was huge. I mean, I I mean, it was just it was just a it was like a ten fifteen yard crosser, and just no, it was it was a slant. That's all well, it was. It, was just yeah, that's slant. what I meant. That's, that's what I meant. There wasn't anything crazy. It was just, yeah, just run the slant over the middle. And he had the stiff arm. I think it was Ike Taylor. I think he got the stiff arm on, on Ike Taylor and just outran everybody. I mean, Demarius wasn't, Demarius wasn't what I would consider like the fastest receiver. No, but the, it looked and, like he was, he was the flash but, on that play. Yeah, but he, 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 bro, he was hauling on that play. That's definitely kind of like one of, that's probably his best individual play just because of the significance behind it. But I mean, guy was a Super Bowl champ. But yeah, this is just devastating. Absolutely devastating to hear this. I'm just I'm just, I'm still kind of shook up over this one. Yeah, no, it's uh definitely weird when you hear about something like this happening, especially as random as this was. It, it's very rare that I actually tweet uh, from my account, like when we're actually recording, I just had to, I just had to 
throw something out there. Jesus, this is devastating. Damn, that's weird. Um, we're we're, we're going to try to persevere. Um, we got a couple of segments to go. Yeah, uh, just, I'm going to try to get this one together, I guess. So figure out where it goes from here. And I, I mean, this was just after a hell of a game between the Steelers and the Vikings. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off on the, the whole, um, the the whole play breakdown where the guy, you know, oh, the, it the doesn't even matter. Yeah, completely just, irrelevant. A loss is a loss. You don't get a person back from passing away. You know what I'm saying? That's just yeah. It's just, Dude, that's just spooky, bro. It's not even on ESPN anywhere. Like I'm on ESPN's website. There's no breaking news. There's nothing on the it, banner. It, 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 it's it's everywhere on Twitter though. Yo, Twitter is where everything happens. You would figure ESPN would have something at this point. Well, I mean, Fox, some of the local Fox affiliates are confirming it's true. I haven't seen ESPN put anything out. Pro Football Focus uh, just tweeted about it. Um, But yeah, this, damn, it's, it's damn. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, we'll, we'll I, I, I'm scared to find out what it is. I hope I I pray it's nothing foul play. I hope to God it isn't like an overdose. Not that that's gonna make the family feel any better, but I mean, at the end of the day, man, when you hear an NFL headline like this, you automatically assume it had to be something bad. This young, thirty three. Dude, oh even God. Vincent Jackson at like forty something was 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 scary. But you know the circumstances of finding him in his hotel room unconscious, and you know that looks a little sketchy. We don't know any details here, guys. So we're just finding this out. Like obviously you just saw, but damn, the, the, bro, this fucked me up. Like low key, I, I don't even want to record anymore. Like I really don't care. Like I, I'm I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like this is weird. I mean, we could talk about the Dame stuff, and then we could just wrap it after that if you want to. Yeah, honestly, that's what I'm. Yeah, we might have to. We uh, guys, I think we're gonna have to cut this one a little short. This one's just like it threw everything off. You know what I'm saying? Me and Kyler literally just sitting here trying to find out what the hell happened, and I know that that's not productive. But it, this, this just, this just hit hard. Yeah, and I mean. And this is coming off the heels of a great Thursday night football game. I just saw the play, by the way. That was a good hit, though. With oh, definitely ball. clean, good hit. Absolutely nothing wrong with the hit. But, it was but, uh, more of a it hit. It was here. I would have hoped he would have, you know. Ben, ben put it on the money, though. I'm that saying, was a, bro. It was that, that was a good. Uh, but bro, it was like last week. The Steelers couldn't even get it going until the fourth quarter. I think they scored twenty-one points in the fourth quarter. I'm telling you, they do it on purpose. They have to. <laughs> I give them credit. They stay in it, but it's just a little bit too late, I guess. But So we'll wrap up the episode with the last uh, topic conversation. We're not going to really go over the Zion thing just because I don't really think that story really means much with the whole Demarius Thomas thing coming out of nowhere. Um, but we're going to talk about Damian Lillard. We're going to talk about just the ongoing trade speculation that seems to encompass him at this current moment in time just based off the fact that the Trailblazers are not off to a very good start this year. They are currently sitting at the 11th seed in the Western Conference right now. And 
the trade chatter surrounding Damian Lillard has definitely increased over the last couple of days or so. Now, Damian Lillard has come out publicly and said that he is not going to be traded. He is not going anywhere. He's going to stick with uh, the coaching staff, with the Trailblazers that Chauncey Billups has taken over for this season. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, where do you take your stance? What is your overall stance on this whole Damian Lillard situation in Portland? Um, I, we talked about this all off season. Uh, this is all self-inflicted uh, to me. Damian uh, took a massive contract, which limits the spending money that is going to be available for the rest of the team. Um, Damian sees that the front office isn't willing to make any uh, big moves outside of, you know, signing Carmelo Anthony a few years back uh, from the brink of basically retirement because the NBA basically blacklisted him. Um, and they're just not prepared to go and, and, and make any big uh, offseason acquisitions, in-season trades, anything to really help him because truthfully, it honestly is Dame by himself. C.J. McCollum has a collapsed lung, and he is out for the foreseeable future. So he's pretty much by himself. I mean, his best running mate is like Dennis Smith Jr. coming off the bench, who scored, I think, like 21 or 22 points last night, uh, who started in place of Damian Lillard, because I think Dame is also out. But with the rumors that are circulating right now of Dame asking for a massive contract extension, which is upwards of 50 to $55 million in the back half of what the rest of the deal would be in terms of the extension – it's just ludicrous to me. Um, Kyle and I actually talked about this a few days ago when the story first broke that he wanted the extension that he requested. And we were trying to just make comparisons as to how this would work. These long-term uh, supermax extensions well into a player's 30s don't usually bode well for a franchise. I know that uh, in particular, Kyle and I used the example of Chris Paul, what the, the Rockets had to pay him over $40 million for his last two years. But in my opinion... And again, this is my opinion. I don't believe that Dame is as valuable as a Chris Paul because Dame is legitimately hit or miss. He'll give you 50, but on other nights, he'll go 8 of 28 shooting. You know what I'm saying? It, it, he'll, he'll, he'll 3 of 14 from the three-point line. And CP3 isn't somebody that's going to go out there and have an off night, like an, an, an inefficient night like that. Chris is still going to find a way to give you 8 to 10 assists. He's still going to find a way to play good defense and get a steal or two. He's still going to find a way to lead a team as a veteran on the floor. Like Kyle and I have always said multiple times on this podcast, he is basically an extension of a head coach, but on the floor with the players, a player's coach, uh, a coach's coach. Chris Paul, to me, is an invaluable piece, and I'm not excusing the money because I don't believe any human being is worth that much money a year. I know Patrick Mahomes is sitting there probably laughing, saying, ha-ha, I make like $50 million to wipe my ass, basically. But Damian Lillard at 35, 36, we don't even know what the hell is going to happen in the next two years. To go out and pay somebody that much money, uh, that far in advance to me just is, is a little silly. It's a little uh, unnecessary. I get it. You're salty. You're probably coming to terms that you're not going to get help. You're not going to win a championship because you want to remain loyal. And I respect him to a certain degree for it because there's not a lot of players that would do that. But for you to basically like handcuff your team and holding hostage to the, the amount of available cap they're going to give other players just seems to be a little wrong, and it does rub me the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, the situation for Damian Lillard is not a good one at this current moment in time just because of the season that they've had so far this year. It's been rather subpar. I mean, seventh, not, not seventh place. They're in 11th place in the Western Conference right now, and granted, they've been dealing with a bunch of injury issues, 
I mean, Damian Lillard has been on the COVID list the last week or so. Like you said, CJ McCollum is out for the foreseeable future with that um, that collapsed lung. And it just doesn't seem like Portland is really going anywhere in a significant manner towards looking like a relevant team this year. Now, things could change. They could get healthier and they could, you know, pull off a couple games here and there. But I mean, Kevin, these last couple games that they've had, they've looked bad. They gave up 145 points to the Boston Celtics just a couple days ago. 145 in regulation time. I mean, this team defensively is just inept. Offensively, they could put up points relatively consistently, but defensively, no. You can't give up 145 points against Boston and then give up damn near 105 to 110 points consistently. Now, Dame is going to have to come to terms with this one way or another. He's either going to have to force a trade or he's just going to have to ride it out. And knowing where Dame's head is at this current moment in time, I think he's going to stay. I don't think he's going to force a trade unless it gets to the point where it's just an abject failure in Portland. That I just don't see him leaving. So I think with him trying to force that extension, I think that's him really just trying to shore up his long-term future with the team and basically say, you know, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon or at least kind of give the public impression that he wants to stay. But, I mean, at the price tag that he would be asking for, I mean, that would just be astronomical. I mean, you're talking about 50 to $55 million a year. And God only knows how much of a percentage that's going to chew up in their cap space. I mean, if Damian Lillard were to get that contract extension, it guarantees they will not win an NBA championship. So, that's how I kind of see it. It's just that Dame's in a situation where it's clearly not going to get any better. I think as far as his trajectory goes with the Portland Trailblazers, I think it's hit its pinnacle already. I don't see this team being competitive for any sort of NBA championship anytime soon. And unless things go absolutely south, meaning like they finish in the basement of the NBA, I think he's just going to wait it out. But it may get to a point where it gets so bad in Portland where he has no choice but to kind of force their hand to force a trade. But I don't think we're at that current moment. In, I don't think we're at that point yet at this current moment in time. Now, it could be like that in a year or two from now, but not right now. So I think Dame is just trying to really kind of get some better leverage against Portland just for the possibility that he does stay until his mid-30s. But at that point, if he were to get that contract extension, it essentially wipes out any sort of chance that Portland would compete for a championship because you won't be able to bring anybody in. You're no, you're, you're, hand, you're handcuffed, bro. You're at, really at, screwed. At, at that point, you're it's over because one player is going to dominate the cap. And after that, you're going to have role players at best. So, I mean, and not good ones. You're going to have, you know, mediocre to average role players. It's not going to be enough to compete for an NBA championship because the West is ridiculously stacked right now. And a lot of these teams in the West that, are kind of on the cusp of being great. You know, within the next two or three years, they could be at the upper echelon of the West, but Portland is not going to be in that mix. Not if Dame's going to get this contract contract extension. There's no way. Yeah, no, it's a, I wouldn't even say it's an interesting topic because it's just, 
We saw this coming, man. We we, we, yeah. we saw we saw a, a boiling point in the Portland organization. Apparently, a few weeks ago, if not last week, there were speculation either from Shams or Woj that there was internal conflict between the personnel in the locker room and Chauncey Billups. I don't believe players are happy with the situation that's going on over there. Um, it's to be expected. Chauncey doesn't have any coaching experience. Um, necessarily to really lead a team forward and make a really any major dividends and trying to take a franchise that was consistently competing in the Western Conference to anything further than what they are. The, the, the roster has not improved in any way, shape, or form. Damian Lillard is consistently in the news for, for different things. Nothing bad in terms of his personal life or anything like that, but just mm-hmm. just bad looks for the team in terms of a PR standpoint of consistently wanting out and then saying that he wants to stay. And now he's coming back and saying that if I stay – you got to pay me this bag of money. And the worst part about it is you're just going to get worse the older you get. I want to compete for a championship. I want to get the fuck out of here. I'm not getting any younger. I know what I said when I was 31, 32, but now I'm 36, and it's like I'm in the back half of this contract, and I'm really fucked. Bro, if you get this bag, which I don't necessarily see him not getting, um, because Portland has just caved in terms of everything that involves Dame, that involves trying to keep him in Portland – if this is going to keep their best player, arguably, in franchise history, which is what I think he will end up being uh, for the Portland Trailblazers by the end of, by the time he hangs it up, um, when you do get to that last two years or that last year of the contract, nobody's inheriting that. Nobody's going to pick that up on the cap. Not one NBA franchise that is competing for a championship, and Portland's not buying you out. That's the last year you're going to finish your career in Portland. And if you want to sign elsewhere after, then you sign elsewhere. But they're going to make sure that you stay in that jersey, and they're doing whatever it is that they have to do. Shit, Ben Simmons is held hostage at fucking 25 in Philly. I'll be damned if Portland's willing to give you up because now all of a sudden you realize you made a terrible decision. I mean, it would really be Portland's bad decision to give him that contract extension. There's I, there's no I way in hell. There's no way in hell the front office should even really consider bro, over that type $100 of hundred million dollars in two years. No shot, bro. No. But knowing Portland, they might do it. They might be dumb enough to pull the trigger on it. So I can't put it past them. But if any GM looked at that, they would say, no way in hell. But for a lot of these NBA GMs, they'll give it away. They'll give it away to make that player happy. But it's going to lead to the detriment of the team. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Great player. Great player in Dane. Absolutely. If he's going to win a championship, it's not going to be there. Nope. No, there, there's no shot. But, you know, that's just kind of where things stand right now. Could things improve? Yeah, they could, but they need to get healthy and they need to learn how to play some defense. This team cannot play a shred of defense. And that's been really their main issue the last couple of years. You know, until they do that, and they're not going to be a competitive team. There's no way. But, Kev, I, I think with the whole Demarius Thomas news, I think that pretty much kind of put a damper on the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, we only had one segment left, but, yeah, no, definitely changed the mood. I mean, both of us are clearly just not in it right now. Like, we're just, just kind of distracted. Like, 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 just, like, disheartened. Yeah, like, word. yeah. yeah. And it, it, guys, it's not like we knew him personally or that he was a guest on the podcast or anything like that. No, it's just no. we, we watched him as we came out of high school into college and dominate at the way that he was. And 
winning a Super Bowl and then, of course, you know, going through what he went through, recovering from an Achilles injury, playing for the Patriots and the Jets. And he hung it up early because he realized, you know, he was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to keep playing on teams back and forth and do the whole journeyman shit for a ring like Frank Gore did. And I, I, to me, I respected that decision more than him just kind of going team to team to team to team. He hung it up, and he felt that that's what he needed to do. Again, I don't know him personally, but, dude, I know we said it already, but, you know, rest in peace to Demarius Thomas, man. Incredible, incredible football player. From what I've read on Twitter, an incredible person as a human being. I saw a picture of Jimmy Butler um, with a shit ton of Demarius Thomas jerseys laying on his couch in 2016. I guess Jimmy was recovering from a surgery because his knee looked to be all wrapped up. Apparently they were really tight and really close friends. So, you know, prayers out to to, to Demarius's family and friends and everybody who, you know, held him dear in their lives. But, you know, everybody, man, hug your loved ones, tell them you love them. Don't, don't, don't hold grudges. This, this world, when it's your time, there's, there's no argument. There's no debate. It is what it is. Yeah. Just a gut punch. There, yeah. It's just, it's just a, de- it's a devastating, uh, series of events here. I just, yeah, I'm just, it's just my heart's not really in it. Uh, after hearing this, this, this one definitely, this one definitely hits home. It's just, um, it's like you said, just, um, you, you just have to feel tremendous sorrow for Demarius's family that's really going through it right now, and and they really need all the love and support that they can get this time. Um, they'll get it from me. But, you know, just some guy doing a podcast and, you know, something's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, the, it's just it's just unfortunate. It's just it's just unfortunate. It's an understatement. It's just it's it's devastating. But yeah, with that said, you guys, uh, we're going to wrap it up from here. Uh, we do want to thank you guys tuning in, uh, whether you were watching us on YouTube or you were listening to us on the audio platforms. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, we will have a new episode out for you guys um, this upcoming week. So that'll drop on Monday like we typically do. So we'll go over the week 14 games that t- t- that will take place on Sunday. We'll obviously go over the, uh, the Monday night matchup that's going to feature the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals, which is probably going to be the best game of week 14 without a doubt, at least on paper it is. And then just any sort of news that that pops up uh, from now until then, you know, we'll, we'll definitely bring it up on Monday's episode, and um, maybe we could provide you guys with an update on what took place with uh, Demarius Thomas passing away. That's that's pretty much all I got. Kev, you got anything? No, man. Like Kyle said, thank you guys for the support, whether it be on social media, um, audio platforms, or YouTube. We really appreciate it. Um, we apologize for the back half of this episode being the way that it did, but you know, it wouldn't be authentic if we didn't genuinely have results and, and, and feel some type of way for some news like this, whether it's an NFL player, a person that we actually know it's when someone passes it, it, it it's never a good thing. It just so happened that this is an athlete in which we knew who it was in terms of a big name, somebody we watched for a long time. And like we've said, pretty much up and down the last 20 or so minutes, you know, rest in peace to, to a great NFL player, hopefully his family um, finds some 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 comfort and some soothing in the next couple of weeks. But uh, as always, guys, thank you so much. Keep rocking with us, and we're going to keep putting out content no matter what happens. Yeah. You know, just once again, just thank you guys 
uh, for tuning in, whether you were listening to us or watching us. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Rest in peace, Demarius. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.